Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Here on Stolen Lives, we discuss brutal and heartbreaking crimes against children. Themes may include child murder, torture, and sexual, domestic, and child abuse. I do try my best to remain respectful for the babies in these stories and leave out unnecessary details that honestly none of us need to know to understand the frustration of why and how this ever happened. However, if you find any of these themes triggering, this podcast may not be for you. Listener discretion is advised. January 26, 2017, Cleveland, Ohio. 14-year-old Eliana DeFries took her usual route to her school, where she was in the seventh grade. Eliana boarded the first of two buses that would take her to school, but sadly there was evil lurking, and Eliana would never make it on the second bus or to school at all. This is Eliana's story. Chilling video of a convicted predator stalking his prey. A sweet, unsuspecting 14-year-old girl smiling on a bus with no idea of the monster who's laying in wait for her. And the terrifying moment when innocence runs straight into absolute evil. She looks towards the individual, and then she steps back away from I'm not a monster. Eliana DeFries, snatched on the way to school, taken near the bus on an icy winter morning. I don't understand how someone can take away a sweet, innocent child like Aliana. A mother's grief, understandable for Denisha Cooper. Clutching Aliana's favorite stuffed animal, Denisha remembers her adorable daughter's final moments. She ran back and gave me a hug and kiss. I was grateful for that moment because I almost missed it because that was the last time I'd seen her. Aliana DeFries was born June 12, 2002, in Detroit, Michigan, to parents Damon DeFries and Denisha Cooper, the couple going on to have another son three years later. Unfortunately, Damon and Denisha would separate soon after their son's birth. They were doing a commendable job co-parenting, however. They lived close to one another. Denisha moved with the children to her mother's home, Aliana's maternal grandmother, and they both kept an active role in the children's lives. Even after Damon remarried a woman named Watonya, all adults working together to ensure the children were happy and well provided for. Aliana would be described by everyone who knew and loved her as happy-go-lucky and bubbly. She loved playing with Barbie dolls and soft toys, the movie Frozen and the colour purple. Aliana had a developmental disability and was enrolled in special education classes. Her mental capacity was younger than that of a teen her age, and this put her somewhat behind her classmates. Aliana also had an undisclosed mental health condition, which required her to take medication every day. In January 2017, when our story takes place, 
Aliana was in the seventh grade at E Prep Woodland Hills in Cleveland, Ohio. Anyone who has lived in a large city like Cleveland knows that the public transit system is the main form of transport for everyone, including school children. For Aliana to get to school, it did require her to take two different buses, something Aliana's mother Denisha and her grandmother really did not approve of. But Aliana and her father Damon managed to talk them around. The only reason Denisha agreed was because one of the bus stops were directly in front of a police station. Denisha would later say this eased at least some of her anxiety. It was just after dawn. Eliana is changing buses at this Cleveland intersection. She never arrives at school. The alert system is down, and Denisha doesn't find out Eliana was gone for nearly 10 hours. Cleveland police mount an intense search for the 14-year-old. We followed up on dozens of leads that we have from the community, and we asked the community to continue to phone in those leads. Then, three days later, a gruesome discovery in an abandoned house. A young girl's body is found. She'd been raped, stabbed, and beaten to death. Tragically, it's Aliana. She was just a baby. She didn't deserve this. She didn't deserve it. January 26, 2017, 6.45am. As she did every day, Denisha walked 14-year-old Aliana to her first bus stop. Located at East 154th Street in Kinsman Avenue, the teen had a 7am tutoring session before school, so she was wearing her school uniform of tan pants and a white shirt. Denisha still thinks about the last time she saw Aliana alive. They were running late that day, but Aliana still took the time to run back to her mother to lovingly kiss and hug her goodbye, a memory she's held on to since her daughter's death. 3.45 that afternoon, Denisha Cooper expected to see her daughter walk through the door. But when another 15 minutes passed with no son of Aliana, Denisha called the school to ask them if Aliana was still there. That was when she found out the news that would chill her to her core, that Aliana never made it to school at all that day. Now, Aliana never missed a day of school before, and her school e-prep was set up to send an automated notification message to parents if a student didn't show. The DeFreezers had signed up for these text messages in case Aliana ever missed school. This was especially important to them because Aliana had a developmental disability and it was completely unlike her to miss school. On the day of Aliana's murder, she missed an entire day of school, but the DeFreezers never received a single notification from e-prep. There had been an apparent glitch in the system, which is why they never received the message. And when the school realised the glitch, they didn't use other means to notify parents, like an email or a phone call. The DeFreezers only knowing something was wrong when Aliana didn't make it home that afternoon. After the phone call with Aliana's mother, the school principal realised just how dire the situation was. She walked down to the Cleveland Public Library to see if she could find Aliana there. Other teachers started making phone calls to the parents of Aliana's friends to track down the missing girl, and they started an informal search of the neighbourhood. Meanwhile, Denisha reported Aliana missing to police. As with all missing children cases, we know that time is crucial. And because Denisha thought her daughter was at school all day, The search for Aliana only began 10 hours after she was last seen. 
a missing persons report was issued, prompting a large citywide search for the missing 14-year-old. Street patrol, detectives and a lieutenant were assigned to the case, with the Cleveland FBI soon becoming also involved. The FBI were able to use cell phone towers to try and trace Aliana's cell phone in the hopes this would find her. News bulletins featured Aliana's face and description, listing her as an endangered youth due to her developmental disability. Police did have their work cut out for them, though. Within a quarter mile of the DeFries family home, there were eight registered sex offenders living in the neighbourhood. And when this search radius was increased to one mile, there were 83 sex offenders. Not only that, but a number of women had been found murdered in the weeks before Aliana went missing, stretching the already overwhelmed Cleveland police. The police obtained surveillance footage from the area from a number of different businesses and the transit CCTV in a bid to try and track Aliana's last movements. They established that Eliana got on her first bus as normal. She was seen standing on the bus and later talking to a male friend, who she continued to talk to for the remainder of the trip. At first, detectives wondered if this boy had something to do with Eliana's disappearance, but later noticed that Eliana and this boy parted ways which ruled him out as a suspect. Eliana was seen getting off her first bus just before seven in the morning. She would never make it to the second bus. This is when the surveillance footage proved invaluable. The surveillance footage was able to identify a person of interest. A man was seen on the footage with Aliana. This man was seen walking up and down the street talking to himself in front of the Gospel Ministry Baptist Church. He would do this for hours. However, just before 7am, this is when Aliana appears on the footage. As she walks past this man, he approaches her. It is unknown what is said between the two, but Aliana takes two steps backwards before continuing to walk past the man. He follows her, before he wraps his arms over her shoulders and leads her into a field. Sadly, this would be the last images of Aliana alive. Police would receive a tip to search the many abandoned houses in the area when on January 29, 2017, three days after Aliana was reported missing, three Cleveland police officers approached one such abandoned home on the 9400 block of Fuller Avenue. They saw the rear door open and they entered. The house had no electricity and they had to bring flashlights with them so they could see. When they entered the home, they saw bloody footprints and smear stains of blood throughout the home. In the bedroom, they found a training bra, a ripped black school sweater, a black shoe and a ripped condom wrapper. The blood trail led to another room with a locked door. When this door was kicked open in one corner, the crumpled and battered body of 14-year-old Eliana DeFries was found, lying in a pool of blood and naked except for a pair of white socks. Eliana had been severely beaten, sexually assaulted, stabbed and tortured. Aliana's throat had been slashed. Her jaw had been shattered. There was a large gash to her forehead so deep her skull was visible. Her killer had also drilled five holes into her face, one dislodging her right eyeball. Deputy Medical Examiner David Dolanak, who completed Aliana's autopsy, 
I don't think they would ever recover at what they saw here. Due to the extent of her injuries, the medical examiner could not say with any degree of certainty what Aliana's cause of death was, other than she had been beaten and stabbed to death. The medical examiner recorded in his report that there were too many stab wounds to count, and many of the wounds showed signs of healing. This indicated that Aliana was still alive after her killer inflicted them. According to the autopsy report, it was clear that Aliana would have spent her last few hours in, quote, excruciating, paralyzing, deliberating, and unthinkable physical and mental pain, unquote. In the home where Aliana was found, the torture devices that were used were also found. A hammer, screwdriver, drill and box cutter were all carefully laid out on the table in the dining room of the abandoned home. Investigators believing this was the workstation for the killer, and he later dragged or threw Aliana into the locked room and left her to die. The devices found were all covered in the teen's blood. Investigators also discovered bloody footprints and male DNA in the home and on Aliana, which linked them directly to her killer. 44-year-old registered sex offender Christopher Whitaker, the same man who was seen with Aliana earlier on the day of her murder. Christopher Whitaker was born in 1973 in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Whitaker started his life of crime in his teens, mainly petty theft. But then in 1998, he was charged with grand theft and burglary. He was also charged with aggravated robbery and assault, although these charges would be later dropped. Whitaker was no stranger to violent crimes either. More than a decade before Aliana's murder in 2005, Whitaker knocked on the door of a mutual friend, asking her if he could use her bathroom. While in the bathroom, he grabbed a pair of scissors and attacked the woman while her back was turned. He choked her out and stabbed her in the neck with the scissors. When the woman regained consciousness, she realised she had been sexually assaulted. Whitaker would be released for this horrific crime in 2009. He served only four years, which is ridiculous to me, for someone who already had a criminal record. But he did have to become a registered sex offender. Whitaker did not keep his nose clean after this. In 2012, he was charged with aggravated theft and served another short stint in prison. February 2, 2017. Christopher Whitaker was arrested by police and U.S. Marshals at the Villa Seymour Apartments in Mayfield Heights. Police questioned Whitaker and he told them he had heard about Aliana from news reports and he had never met her. He said he was doing drywall work on some houses in the area the day she went missing. When asked if he had ever been to the abandoned house, he told police he was there a few days before Aliana went missing. He told police he was there with another guy, a man named Boogie, and they took a water heater and some metal from the house. When asked if he had never met Aliana, then how did his DNA happen to be found inside her? Whitaker told police, quote, I'm a crackhead. I get high and do stupid shit for money, unquote. Whitaker then told police that he and another two men got high in the abandoned house that day. Aliana went willingly with them to get high. She then took off her clothes and he had consensual sex with her. According to Whitaker at that point, Eliana apparently attacked him and he had to protect himself. But this story made no sense to police. 
For one, Whitaker had no visible injuries. Whitaker was a large man, weighing in at 275 pounds. Aliana was a 14-year-old child. She was less than half his size at 5 foot 2 and 119 pounds. Finally, he claimed he blacked out after punching Aliana and that he would have never had done it if he was sober, that he didn't want his face on the news for what he had done. Quote, People are going to look at me like I'm a monster. I am not a monster. Just an addict who had made a mistake that shouldn't have happened. Unquote. Whitaker was charged with aggravated murder, kidnapping, rape, aggravated burglary, tampering with evidence, and offences against a human corpse in the death of Aliana DeFries. Whitaker's face did make the news, and there were protests outside the jail he was being held at for him to face the death penalty for his crimes. Denisha was front and centre to demand justice for her only daughter. Quote, I don't understand how anyone could take away a sweet, innocent child like Aliana. I'm going to every pre-trial, every trial, everything. So he sees my face. I hate to say it, but I want him to suffer. You know the way he made my daughter suffer. I still don't think he deserves to live for taking my daughter away from me. Unquote. It would take a whole year for the case to go to trial, February 1st, 2018. Prosecutors argued this was a case of a violent and premeditated murder, that Whitaker's story that he blacked out was not what happened. They argued that he stashed tools in the vacant home prior to the murder while he waited for a victim, a crime that deserved a sentence no less than the death penalty that Whitaker had abducted Eliana on her way to school and taken her to the abandoned home where he raped, tortured and killed her. Quote, The evidence does not point to a drug-induced frenzy, does not point to a blackout. It points to that he knows what he was doing. Unquote. The jury heard about the house where Eliana's body was found. Detective Carlin testified that you could tell there was violent trauma in the house due to the amount of blood in the house, that there was a trail of blood that led from the hallway to the bedroom where Aliana would be later found. The jury heard that Aliana suffered the horrific violence inflicted on her for at least several hours until she was ultimately killed. The defence were not contesting the charges. They called no witnesses. It was clear that their focus in this case was in relation to the penalty phase. They did not believe Whitaker should get the death penalty. The jury deliberated for six hours and found Whitaker guilty on all charges of kidnapping, raping and killing Aliana. They recommended that he should receive the death sentence. The judge could have overruled this and given him life in prison, but she agreed with the jury. Christopher Whitaker received the death sentence for murdering the teen, along with an additional 48-year sentence for convictions of aggravated burglary, rape, assault, obstruction of justice and gross abuse of a corpse. In sentencing, Judge Carolyn Freeland said, quote, The circumstances that Christopher's attorneys presented to convince jurors to spare his life paled in comparison to the barbarity of the evidence of what he did to the girl. Unquote. Whitaker chose to give a statement to tell the DeFreezes how he regretted his actions, that he did feel remorse for killing the girl. From the beginning, I've accepted full responsibility for my actions. 
I assisted the detectives as to where to find my clothes and boots I was wearing that day. I never wanted this to happen, and ever since that day, I've been filled with regret and remorse. Through the year, I made a lot of phone calls, and in those calls, I've said things and lied about things in order to protect my family's feelings. I've admitted to my guilt to the detectives and to my lawyers. I asked my lawyers not to contest or challenge anything in this case because I really wanted the DeFreeze family to have closure. I will not try to hide behind drugs or alcohol. I will not pretend or lie because it wouldn't be fair to the family. I apologize to the family and the community for my actions. There is no excuse for what I've done. I can't imagine the pain the family feels, but I know the pain I felt when I had to look at what I've done. If I could go back to that day in January, I'd change everything, but I can't, so I have to live with each day with the shame, hurt, and guilt. And although the trial is over, the regret and painful memories will remain with me. Just, that's sometimes that's just things I can't shake. I pray that the family can find peace and she can find rest. And my apologies. Both Denisha and Damon addressed the court, giving their victim impact statements. Said Denisha, quote, Death is too good for him, and I won't believe he has had any remorse until he suffers like my daughter suffered. Don't give up. Don't give up and keep on living and fighting in the name of your children, because eventually justice will come. Peace will come. Unquote. Damon chose to speak directly to Whitaker. Quote, You're lucky I'm not the same person I was 25 years ago, because there's not enough police in here to stop me, and you need to know that. When you get to where you're going, you're going to get what you got coming. Before you get the gas, the lethal injection chamber. My baby didn't get a chance. He can sit on death row forever. I want this man to experience hell on earth before he experiences hell in the afterlife. Unquote. It takes a real monster to take a child who's going on her way happily to school. It happens too often. Every time I turn on the news, read the paper, there's a child missing. Not only child, there's men and women missing also. It gets frustrating. And nothing's being done about it. I know the officers you're doing, you can only do for so much. The administration at City Hall needs to address these issues like you addressed the renovation of the queue and like you addressed the Republican Convention. Our children mean a lot to us. They might not be your children, but they mean a lot to us. The 93rd is a safe haven for sexual predators like this monster behind me. And you're lucky I'm not the same person I was 25 years ago because there's not enough police in here to stop me. And you need to know that. And when you get where you're going, you're going to get what you got coming. Before you get to that gas, that lethal injection chamber. My baby didn't have a chance. No grandchildren. Can't walk her down the aisle. When she'd come over on the weekends, on Fridays, we'd have this same talk. 
about this guy back here. I warned her of guys like that. I warned her of the abandoned buildings. I told her to watch out for these predators. I didn't want her catching two buses to school. I stressed that. This is what I get. She would talk to me, Daddy, you showed me how to fight. I'll be okay, Daddy. I said, baby, listen to me and quit running your mouth. Don't walk with your hood on your head. Don't have the earbuds in your ear. Be aware of your surroundings. She kept running her mouth and I grabbed her. I said, that's how it's going to happen, Aliana. I said, that's how it's going to happen. Now what you going to do? Wow, Daddy, you scared me. I said, yeah. Lord, give me strength to continue on with this foundation to keep my mind right and my spirit right. Excuse me, so I can look at this bitch-ass dude. You're addressing the court, Mr. DeFries, not... I said enough. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Late 2017, Denisha and Damon established the Eliana DeFries Let's Make a Change Foundation, a non-profit organization that focuses on child safety, more police presence on the street, and the demolition of abandoned homes that more school buses be made available so students don't have to rely on the public transit system to get to school. Quote, Aliana really wanted to help people, and I think she'd be proud of the things that are being put into place to help other people so no one suffers like she suffered. Unquote. In 2019, Aliana's parents filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the city of Cleveland, the Metropolitan School District, where their daughter had been enrolled, and others involved in her death. According to the lawsuit, E-Prep knew Aliana wasn't at school that day, but they made zero effort to contact her parents. The DeFreezes firmly believing that if they'd been contacted earlier, they may have been able to find their daughter before it was too late. The lawsuit would be settled out of court in January 2021 for $1 million. And by the end of that year, the Aliana Alert Bill was signed into law in the state of Ohio, making it a legal requirement for all parents of kindergarten to 12th grade students be notified of their child's unexplained absence within two hours. Aliana's funeral was held February 11, 2017, at the Lucas Funeral Home. Purple flowers adorned her coffin. Police officers carried Aliana's coffin from the funeral home to the Lakeview Cemetery in Cleveland, where she was laid to rest. Hundreds of people were in attendance at the wake at the Imani Temple Ministries, where mourners all wore purple, Aliana's favourite colour. Said Damon of the grief he will forever experience, quote, You don't know when this will hit you. I will drive, it hits me. I just cry for no reason. You know when I was working, it hits you at work. You know it's just, it's a never-ending thing, but I'm still standing. Unquote. Students of Aliana's school, E-Prep, wanted to create a memorial in her honour. They planted a memorial garden just outside the school doors, choosing purple flowers. Aliana's parents were later awarded with a posthumous diploma at what would have been her graduation ceremony. The abandoned house where Aliana was murdered has since been boarded up. The front porch of the property has been turned into a memorial site for the young girl, 
giving loved ones and community members a place to mourn. The front porch of the property has been turned into a memorial site for the young girl, giving loved ones and community members a place to mourn. The residents of Cleveland obviously greatly affected by the murder, even though most never met Aliana. Not long after Aliana's murder, Denisha and her son became homeless after her mother passed away. Many believe from a broken heart for what happened to her granddaughter. Denisha and her son moved in with relatives for a while, but have now secured their own home. Both Denisha and Damon still live in the Cleveland area to remain close to their beloved little girl. Christopher Whitaker is currently being held on death row at the Chillicothe Correctional Institution in Ohio. He has exhausted all appeal options for his death sentence and is awaiting execution. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. 